0: We're all familiar with the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the cross has been made into an object of beauty. And it's weared as jewellery to adorn the neck or to adorn the ears. It's, all, it's even put in its beauty and lighted up inside and outside church buildings. But the cross is one of the most terrible instruments of torture that man has ever devised to put to death other men. It was said by one at the time that in dying on a cross, you died a thousand deaths. That's what it was designed to do, to prolong and... Make as terrible as possible your expiry. So, who in their right mind then, when we understand what a cross is, would find something to boast in a cross? We rather preferred to boast in achievements, positive achievements as we call them, academic achievements, how they are paraded. I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but you know the society in which we live. Uh, uh, there in Kenya, you can graduate with cap and gown from nursery school these days. Promotion. Oh, wonderful Uh, You've obviously been a really faithful worker. Popularity. We're all prone to that, aren't we? Uh, I guess you can confess with me. Uh, You write something on Facebook and then you want to see how many people have liked it. Um, Successful retirement. Job well done. Those are the things that we tend to look at that we boast in, that we praise people for. But what if the cross brings even far greater achievements than those things, even though it looks like something which is completely negative? Let me just give you a couple of other examples of things which are abhorrent, which we wouldn't possibly choose, and yet they turned out for very great good. You children, you know the story of Joseph, don't you? What injustice was shown to him. Imagine being sold into slavery by your own brothers. And then you do a faithful job in the house of your master and you're rewarded with what? What? Prison, not for a day, at least more than 10 years. Completely unjust. And yet, humanly speaking, if it hadn't have happened, the whole of Abraham's family would have perished in the famine. So thank God that Joseph went there. Thank God he went to prison unjustly. Thank God just the right time. He was there to bring salvation to his whole family. Think of Paul, just one example. He goes to Philippi, he he heals by casting out an evil spirit from a, a girl who's tormented. His reward, he's hauled up before the magistrates. He's mercilessly beaten, he's thrown into the innermost dungeon What a wicked, terrible thing. How can any good come out of that? The mouth of his servant has been stopped. Oh, no, it hasn't because there's a jailer there. And he's going to be reached by the fact that Paul and Silas are there singing hymns to God at midnight. (laughs) There's just a couple of examples. Tiny compared with the cross. So, the word of God this evening from Galatians, if you can be there, please, it wants you to be absolutely sure that you've heard the message of the Bible correctly. And so, at the end of the letter, in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul, who's probably chained to a soldier either side, usually writes through an amanuensis, as we call them, somebody else he dictates to. He gets to the point where he picks up the pen himself and now with large letters he says, I'm writing these final few words. Have you ever done this at the end of a letter or you might have another way of doing it in the body of the letter? Of course you do. You put a word in bold, don't you? Or you underline it. Or uh, we can do it on computer now. You used to do it on a manuscript. You put a yellow marker through something that's really important. Or you put an exclamation mark at the end. This is what Paul does. He, he wants uh, you to be absolutely sure you know what he's teaching here to the Galatians. Because this is an emotional. And a very hard hitting letter. It is in verse 14. It's about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying this as you're faced with Jesus Christ and the cross, you're either 100% for it or you're not for it. There's no halfway, it's all or nothing. That's what he wants us to understand. And you might ask, why should there be Christians who are not 100% for the cross? Why would there be anybody naming the name of Christ who's ashamed of the cross? Yet he says they exist, and he talks about them in verses 12. And 13. That's why Paul's writing the letter, because there are those who are turning to a different gospel, he says at the beginning, chapter 1 and verse 6. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So first of all, let's see what Paul says about some who are ashamed of the cross. After Paul had visited these churches, he was the first messenger there of the gospel, others had come in after him and they said, what Paul has taught you is okay as far as it goes. But Paul didn't tell you everything. He ought to have told you that It's not enough to believe in Christ. To be a real Christian, a full Christian, you've got to be circumcised. After all, God told Abraham to circumcise every male in his family. So that's the command of God for you. And that's the message that Paul added. And this is why his pen burns hot against this addition to the gospel. Believe in Christ who died and get circumcised, the implication is, and keep all the laws of Moses and then you'll be saved, was their message. What Paul does is to uncover the real reason behind this false gospel and you'll find that the two reasons go with all false teaching. First of all, there's the desire for popularity. These false teachers were not really interested in the Galatians. They were interested in their own reputation Verse 12, they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh or they wanted to boast in their flesh. That's the end of verse 13. These false teachers, they were Jewish Christians, Christians from a Jewish background, and they wanted to keep in favor with their Jewish brethren who hadn't become Christians. See, if you were a Jew... I would think even today, to look at the, a cross and find anything positive in it was impossible. They just looked at it with absolute abhorrence because the cross means, and they're right, God's curse. How can anything good come out of something that God has cursed? How can you publicly parade a cross by speaking about it openly when it's something God has cursed. We read, didn't we, in chapter 3, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree or cross. These people then only wanted their popularity. They wanted statistics. So as they went around, Paul says, you want to count the number of people that have been circumcised in the year 2017. Oh, 50 people this last year. And your Jewish brethren would congratulate you. And you'd be popular amongst those who were most important to you. Has that desire for popularity changed? so that the message is hidden or even falsified? What is it today in so many churches? If you want to attract people, be popular, don't do what we do. You've got to have the music that they like. You've got to promise them success now that's what they're looking for. You've got to have programs for every conceivable kind of person. In other words, the the way to gain the world is to get as like the world as you can without you would consider sinning. So this idea of being popular is very, very much with us. And that's why some were ashamed of the cross. Secondly, and it's connected, of course, It was to avoid opposition. Verse 12 says, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. To teach that Jesus Christ who died on the cross is the only hope of men and women is surely to invite persecution. For Paul to offer Gentiles, that's you and me, non-Jews, to offer salvation on the basis of the cross alone without having to become a Jew, that is to be circumcised or become a proselyte, that will destroy the Jewish preeminence. We are the people of God. And you know what people do? When you humble them and you ignore them, they lash out at you. So you need to avoid opposition. Now today, we are being more and more ridiculed, aren't we? So uh, this is uh, very current. People today, if you tell them about the blood of Christ, That is so objectionable, the blood theology. You tell people that God is angry. God has wrath towards us as sinners, and God needs to be appeased. We need to make peace with God. That idea is so reprehensible. You may not know, theologians have written books and books trying to get rid of the wrath of God. So you bring forth the cross on which you have the blood, the sacrifice, and the wrath of God on his son, you're going to invite persecution. And people, of course, would say, you're telling me about somebody called Jesus I don't know if he ever existed, but if he did, what's he got to do with me? He lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Anyway, he was put to death. Got nothing to do with me. Some are ashamed of the cross. And these two things are the constant mark of false teachers <coughs> compromised with the message. Especially those elements which are Unpopular and the desire for self-glory. Mark those two things. They're ever the marks of false teachers. But then the positive, the second, the most important thing here is that the Christian's only boast is in the cross. Please look at verse 14. Let me read it to you. Galatians 6, 14. But far be it from me to boast... Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Obviously, it's a contrast with the boasting of the false teachers. They boast in your flesh. I boast in the cross of Christ. But look at the language Far be it from me to boast except in the cross. Is Paul serious? Is it really true that the cross of Christ is everything? If Paul had written, I'm not ashamed of the cross, but it's one of the things for which I thank God, That's okay, isn't it? We we can accept that. It's one thing amongst others, but Paul says no boasting except in the cross. The cross is the only real thing in which to boast. That's what's written, and that's the truth. To Paul, it's unthinkable that he could boast in anything else. Nothing else compares to the cross for Paul. Of course, he's particularly thinking of circumcision, people boasting that we were able to get 50 Gentiles circumcised this past year. What is that compared to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to Consider the thinking of this man, Paul. I want you to go into his shoes. He was an educated man at the top of the educational ladder. He was zealous. There was nobody as zealous for his religion as Saul of Tarsus. And therefore, for him to think that God's Messiah, God's promised Saviour could be crucified was the last thought that would ever enter his head. Because, as I've said, to be crucified means to be rejected by God. I mean, how can someone who's rejected by God bring you to God himself? I mean, he's been rejected. So you see the utter impossibility in his uh, straightforward thinking. Paul, along with other Jews, would think of Jesus more as a warrior king, and he is that. Come to uh, especially uh, destroy the Romans and to bring the Jews to their uh, independence and to be the head of uh, the world again. Well, then Paul simply couldn't believe anything about Christ and the cross until the risen Lord Jesus Christ personally appeared to him as he was ranting and raging, going to Damascus, Persecute these people of the cross. Then the risen Lord appeared to him. That changed everything. The one he thought who had been punished by God because he was a blasphemer and buried as dead and forgotten. He's alive. He's before him. In all his divine glory. And so the whole of Paul's thinking has to change. You can sort of imagine the, the way this happens to us. In a moment, our whole thinking is turned upside down. So therefore, he is the Messiah. If he's alive, and if he's with heavenly glory, it means God has accepted him god has saved him he is the messiah and so therefore his sufferings must have something to do with his being the messiah we find paul immediately in the synagogue saying that jesus is the christ the messiah and proving it from the scriptures Then he goes on, he he must say to himself then, the cross, if it had to happen in God's plan, then that's the way of salvation. The cross is the way our sins are forgiven and that fully, because if there was forgiveness through animal sacrifices, then why do we need something more than that? And so he comes to preach in Antioch. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed or forgiven by the law of Moses. Paul had been seeking acceptance with God by his privileges as a Jew by his hard work of keeping the law. Now with the risen Lord appearing to him, he sees it's by Christ alone. It's by the cross alone. And he begins to see what a great sinner he is. Seeking to establish his own righteousness, trusting in himself when God sent Christ with the very purpose of saving us and rejecting it. What wickedness to reject what God has so graciously and fully provided and to seek it in yourself. How wrong he had been, hadn't he? Though he had risen, and if anyone attained anything in this world, poor Saul, attained everything as far as being a Jew was concerned. How wrong he was. And so he comes now to say, all that in which I trusted and boasted, I now count rubbish. Just fit for the the dung heap. Says that in his letter to the Philippians. Do you see now why Paul can say, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Christ. Nothing else could do for him what he really needed, but the cross has done absolutely everything for him that he needs and we sinners need. My friends, here is something by which if you're a Christian, you're washed from every sin. Sins of youth, presumptuous sins, repeated sins, deepest sins. The blood of Christ washes you from every single one. Can we quote it this morning? I've quoted it already. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to f- Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're washed from sin and we're made as white as wool. By the cross, I can approach God himself. I don't go through a human priest. I don't have to bring a lamb of sacrifice and go right into the Holy of Holies. That's why the curtain was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died. I have confidence now to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. Through the cross, I've got no fear of judgment because Christ has paid it all. There is therefore now no no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So through him, I have absolute assurance of eternal glory. What more do you want? What other need do you have? The great needs, the eternal needs, are fully granted in Christ and his cross. Again, listen to Paul in his letter to the Romans. Listen to the way he reasons in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, it's the cross, we've been declared righteous, we've been made acceptable with God. How? By the cross. Much more. Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? What's true now makes what's going to happen then absolutely certain. Or verse 10, Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See the argument? We were enemies and Christ died for us and we got reconciliation, but we're now reconciled. How much more then will we receive all the blessings of God in Christ now that we are friends? Because of the blood of Christ and the death of Christ, these things are absolutely certain for us. Or Romans 8 and verse 34, I find this, most amazing revelation because it's all in Christ nothing of me here at all verse 33 Romans 8 who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies well there are plenty of things that can be charged to me aren't there and to you who's going to do it even the devil can't do it why Because it's God who justifies. He's got the supreme authority to declare righteous. And then the question is, verse 34, who is to condemn? There's so much to condemn me. How can I be sure, absolutely sure, that there's no condemnation? Just listen to these glorious words. They're in the form of a question. Very powerful. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. He goes back to his death, his resurrection, his exhortation, his intercession. That's why we boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. And then notice that Paul also says about the cross that it totally transforms our lives. And again, is why we boast in it. It's everything. It transforms. Look at verse 14. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross of Christ brings two other crucifixions, doesn't it? First of all, the world has been crucified to me. That's very strong language. Please, the language of crucifixion is the strongest language you can think of. It means the world is like a dead thing to me. Crucifixion is absolute certain death. Nobody survived. It's not something that is happening to me, but it has happened. It has been crucified to me. The world are those present, uh, sensible things to which uh, you look to get rewards and favor. Like Paul said, I'm a Jew, born of Jewish parents, circumcised on the eighth day, etc., etc. He looked to that for his rewards uh, and uh, favors. That's the world, anything that you trust in. But they never brought him to God. When you become a Christian, when you Put your faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then you find that the world is crucified to you. Those things don't arouse your interest anymore. They're dead to you. Imagine there's a hungry man. He comes to you, says, please give me food. You can see from his sunken cheeks, that he's pretty desperate. And you say to him, well, I'm sorry, I can't give you any food, but I can give you a free airline ticket to go anywhere in the world you want for a whole month. Might sound exciting to you, but it's not exciting to a man who's about to expire because of hunger, is it? He needs food. And that's the only thing that will satisfy. Everything else there's nothing the world is crucified to him but then there's a second crucifixion there in Galatians 6.14 says I have been crucified to the world this is probably what the world now thinks of Paul Paul has no respect for the world he didn't do any good and the feeling is mutual The world has no respect whatsoever for Paul. Paul, you're no better than a cursed, crucified criminal. That's what we think of you. Once we highly esteemed you when you were with us in in our Judaism. But now you've rebelled. Now you've gone a different way. and You know, don't you? (coughs) how intolerant the world is when you go against it. You can believe what you like as long as you don't tell a person, my friend, you're wrong. Then you'll get the ire of the world. You tell a respectable, as far as they're concerned, hardworking religious person, you know, my friend, because of your sin, you deserve to be cursed of God like a crucified person and the cross of Christ is your only hope, do you really expect someone to congratulate you and say, thank you so much for telling me such a beautiful message? Paul's great opponents were his own people, even more than the Romans'. So do you see the total antithesis, opposition between the cross and the world, between the Christian and the world? Do you see it? Completely uh, opposite and antagonistic to one another. This is why Paul says, I boast only In the cross, you're either looking to the world for your life, your position in society, your achievements, they may be modest, but you're still looking to them, or you're looking to Christ and the cross to have meaning and hope and forgiveness and a position as a son of God and as an achievement in Christ but you can't have one foot in one camp and the other foot in the other camp it can't be the cross and the world you take your choice it's one or the other so I want to finish by asking you the question are you boasting in the cross because that's what Paul says he's he's our great Christian, isn't he? He's our great example. If Paul, my apostle, the one who's gone before me, if he says, I'm not going to boast in anything except the cross of Christ, I say, Paul, I'm going to follow you. Are you following him? Paul's life was entirely governed by, by the cross in the cross he saw the love of the father giving his son in the cross Paul saw the awfulness of his sin that was needed as the only way my sin could be dealt with before God what does God think of your sin it's bad enough For his own son to be crucified for it. It's the cross that gave him full assurance of salvation. How do I know there's no condemnation? Christ died for me. The cross is a great encouragement to holiness. See, the whole of life is determined by the cross. I think someone has said the the Christian experience in life has a cruciform shape to it. The shadow of the cross is over everything in the life of the Christian. So let me ask you then, when you pray, uh, you do pray, I would think, when you pray, are you conscious that the only way your prayers can come to God acceptably Is because of the cross of Christ. You know, that's why we pray in the name of Christ, isn't it? Because we're conscious that by myself, I can't come to God. But if I'm clinging to Christ and trusting in Christ, oh, I can come with him into the presence of God. When you tell somebody that you're a Christian, what do you mean? Do you really mean... Christ died for my sins. Because that's what makes me a Christian. Is that the center of your testimony? If God were to ask you, and we're just imagining this, because he doesn't need to ask any such question. But if God were to ask you, why should you as a sinner enter into my heaven, what would you say? Do you say, well, I was brought up in Belvedere Road Church, et cetera, et cetera? Or would you say, your son Jesus Christ died for me. That's my only hope. You see, that's what it means to boast in the cross. (laughs) Do you desire to tell others About the cross of Christ? Or are you ashamed of it? Now, we all need wisdom. I did put it this way Do you desire to tell people? Have you even got that far? Do you in your own heart say, That's what I want to tell people because that's the gospel message that alone can save them? You know, it is, isn't it? It's only the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That can save anybody. If you miss that out, you miss the gospel. As the word of God has come to you this evening and it's presented to you, Jesus Christ, and him crucified as the one for you to trust, may today be the day when you can say with all your heart and with joy, God forbid... That I should boast or glory in anything except the cross of Christ by which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. That's my prayer. But I want to ask you, can you afford not to have that as your hope? In other words, what other way do you have to come to God What other assurance can you have that God will accept you today and on the day of judgment except the cross of Christ? He's the only way to know God and to have eternal life. It's an awful illustration, but this is a serious business. If you had a gangrenous leg you do know that, as far as I understand, there's only one solution, isn't there? Amputation. Nobody would choose if there was another way to have amputation. But if that's what's got to be, to have life, let it be. To choose Christ will Invite persecution. It perhaps will lose you popularity. But it's the only way to have life, to have assurance, to have joy, and to know God. May that be your experience this evening. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you've put so simply and clearly. We now ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit to work in those who yet have not put their trust in Christ, to trust him with their whole souls, knowing that he is the one who does helpless sinners. Good for us who are Christians, Lord. Oh may we go on our way, boasting glor- glorying in the cross, till finally we see our Saviour face to face and bow down before him in worship. So bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.